today, as we start our conversation, as we continue in our Minefield series, I want you to take a look at this really adorable video. I am smart. I am blessed. I can do anything. I am smart. I am blessed. I can do anything. That sweet moment. Moving and inspiring so many people, three-year-old Ian saying his daily affirmation on a simple walk to school, his mom teaching him that important lesson just a year ago. He is smart. He is blessed. He can do anything. And look at that face. He's cute, too. He's a cutie. All right. Parents are doing a good job. Yeah. I mean, that was really adorable, right? I mean, this is a nice thing to see on Sunday morning. Um, but not only is that uh, video cute, uh, it went viral a couple of years ago. Um, and it, it was so ri- uh, viral that they received so much about it that they actually wrote a children's book uh, called I'm Smart, I Am Blessed, I Can Do Anything. And so I think that's pretty cool that just this viral video, this little guy, Ian, uh, had his mom write a book about him. And this is actually Kyle's. Um, Kyle actually allowed me to borrow this. They read this to this, their kiddos as well. Um, but I, I, I wanted to start with that today because it helps us continue in our Minefield series that we started a couple of weeks ago, um, calling Minefield the war, Winning the War Within. And in this series, we've been talking about how we have a battle within us in many ways. And in order to win the battle, we must spend more time thinking about and working on the stuff that's below the surface, In week one, we talked about how there's this 1.0 and 2.0 versions of us, right? There's this redeemed version of us, and then there's this sinful version of us, and they war against each other constantly, right? And then last week, uh, Kondo talked a little bit about uh, winning, fighting the battle by taking every thought captive. And he likes alliteration, so he's like, let's not get into thought traps with our thought thoughts, right? Um, and so we talked a little bit about that last week. And so this week, uh, we're going to talk about and have a conversation about fighting the lies within by digging a trench of truth. Fighting the lies within by digging a trench of truth. And I think this little guy, Ian, he gets it. He knows that to win the war within and ultimately the war without, that he needs to rehearse truth. He needs to be intentional and dig a trench of truth to fight the lies that creep in every single day. He regularly reminds himself, I am smart. I am blessed. And I can do anything. And life is hard, right? And when things come our way that knock us off kilter, we need to be reminded of what is true. I mean, this world will chew you up and spit you out, won't it? I mean, we see this on social media and the cancel culture of this day. One mistake, one misunderstanding, and you can be canceled by a whole group of people called unhurtful and unkind names for something that may not even be true. And this also applies to what Kondo shared a couple of weeks ago as we kicked off the series, right? We, we want to do the right thing, but we don't do the right thing. And so then we're frustrated with ourselves and we begin to write a story in our heads about who we are or how we're perceived that honestly might not just, just might be untrue, completely untrue. We can be our most harsh critics, right? When we look at ourselves, we can be our harshest critic. And we often focus on the shoots, not the roots. 
We focus on the shoots, not the roots. And what I mean by that is we focus on the behavior we see, not necessarily the things below the surface and what they're caught, why, why it's being caused us to be- behave that way or how we can work on it or how we can fix it. So digging a trench of truth is critical and it's very, very important. So that's why we're having this conversation today. And this idea is in essence, what we read in Romans 12 too, when we read this from the apostle Paul, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But what does transforming your mind mean, right? What, what does it look like? How do we transform our minds? Right? As Christians, as Christ followers, we can sometimes know these scriptures well enough, say them to people and say, yeah, just be transformed in your mind. But we often don't think about the practicalities of what does that mean? How, does, how do I do that? I like the way that the message paraphrase puts it. It says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll, change from the, you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops a well-formed maturity in you. I like that phrase, being transformed from the inside out. Right? That, that sounds like winning the war within to me. And if we're going to do that, it requires creating and digging a trench of truth. A couple of years ago, I read a book by Craig Groeschel called Winning the War in Your Mind. Great book that I would highly recommend to you. And this is what he says in the book. He says, a trench is intentionally dug to deliver a necessary resource. A trench has a specific purpose and fixes an existing problem. He goes on to say that a trench is different than a rut. Similar but different. A rut is unintentionally created and it has no purpose. And a rut requires repair. So the idea of digging a trench of truth, it has purpose. It's one of intentionality. It's one that helps transform our minds. And here's the deal. We are in a mental health crisis in our country. We're not just in a mental health crisis in our country. We're in a mental health crisis right here in Kosciuszko County. The pandemic has wreaked havoc on our collective mental health. And we're still seeing the effects of it today. A December 2022 article of the American Psychiatric Association states that nearly two out of five, that's 37% of Americans, rate their mental health as fair or poor. 37%. And more than one in four reported that they anticipate uh, experiencing more stress at the start of 2023. This percentage is up from from last year. It's even more so from year over year. And the demand for mental health treatment has continued to increase as many psychologists report according to this new study of the American Psychological Association, that six out of 10 practitioners do not have any room to take more patients. Six out of 10. 
And that 46%, uh, percent, sorry, that's 46%, uh, that they have, uh, some of them, uh, nearly 46% said they have not been able to meet the demand of treatment. And nearly three quarters of them, 76%, oh, sorry, 72%, 72% say that they have longer wait lists now than they did before the pandemic. And here's, inter- here's some interesting stats. Across the age group, the largest increase of patients was from adolescents 13 to 17. And that's up again from year over year. Large percentages of psychologists also reported increases in patients 18 to 25. And get this, children under the age of 13 in the same period of time. So here's the deal. This is a serious crisis and it's happening right now in real time in our community. There's a battle waging within us, within many of us. And maybe there's a battle waging within you or the person sitting right next to you today. And here's the deal. It's as real as a broken arm. It's just not as visible. There is a real, real crisis in our community. And that's my story. To know me is to know that I'm a pretty strong guy. I'm an eight on the Enneagram. Uh, I don't cry often, which I don't wear that as a badge of honor. My wife says I'm a robot. Um, but I don't wear that as a badge of honor. I just say I just don't cry often. I don't, I don't really understand how to be sad. I'm a go-getter. I'm passionate. And I'm 100% in all the time. And that can be exhausting for people like my wife and my colleagues. Just ask them. They will tell you that it can be exhausting being with me. I love being on the move and working at things and moving things down the field and all of that kind of stuff. My last church, um, they used to call me um, the Energizer Bunny because I just don't stop moving. But I will tell you this. Back in the spring of 2021, I was bombarded with a mental health crisis that stopped me in my tracks. It hit me like a ton of bricks. I mean, I was not prepared for it. I had never in my life ever dealt with any mental health issues. And to be quite honest, I didn't understand people who did. I just hadn't had that experience. I mean, yeah, I'd had some trauma in my childhood, but I'd seen a counselor. I dealt with that. I'd moved on. That box had been checked for me. But as I found out, the body keeps the score. So right after I turned 40, my mind and my heart and my body were rocked with what I would call a pretty debilitating mental health crisis. I found myself back in my therapist's office asking for medication for the first time in my life. I was feeling like a failure, feeling weak. I felt like an imposter as a pastor. And it was miserable. I mean, I couldn't focus. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. I lost weight. It was overwhelming to me. It was all-consuming and it was relentless. I just remember asking my wife, I just want God to take it away. Why won't he take it away? I couldn't pray it away. I tried. 
I couldn't just think about something else because it didn't help. I couldn't distract myself long enough with other things. And as I said in my first week here, then I'm a raging extrovert. And so I love being around people. But this health crisis, this mental health crisis, made me turn in on myself and become a recluse. And I didn't even want to be around anybody ever at any time. I mean, it was a pretty dark time, to say the least. And I did not know where to turn. I mean, I just, I just hoped that the medication would fix it or that God would take it away or that I could distract myself with something or work or I'm a runner. So maybe just one more mile will help me distract myself enough. But you know what I found out? There's no silver bullet for mental health. There isn't. It took me 40 years of life's highs and lows to get to that point in my journey. And so it wasn't going to be fixed in a day. It wasn't going to be fixed in a week or a month or maybe even several months. During that time, I met with a mentor of mine and he sat with me and he listened to me. He cried with me. He actually drove from Noblesville, Indiana to Chicagoland to come and hang out with me and spend time with me. And he shared something that was interesting to me. He said, Michael, I don't, I don't know if you're going to be able to fix your mental health. He's like, you may just have to learn to manage it. And there's probably going to be some good days and there may be some bad days, but you might have to have a myriad of tactics to try to manage your mental health. And man, this was hard for a guy like me who, uh, man, I love making lists. I love checking off the list. I want, and I, I love making lists and just like scratching it out on the paper and saying, I've accomplished that thing. But when he said that to me, it allowed me to think, is there a way that I could manage my mental health and be whole again? And so, yeah, I went to therapy again which by the way, I'll say to you, I think every single one of you should be in therapy. We all are healing from something. Childhood wounds, things with our parents, things that have happened to us. Therapy is one of the tactics. We want you to know, and I want you to hear me say, it's okay to not be okay. But man, we don't want you to stay there. We would love for you to go and see a counselor. So I went to therapy I took and I am still taking medication. I practice spiritual disciplines. I meet with my mentor. I run five or six times a week. So I have a lot of ways that I'm managing my mental health. But I would say the most profound and influential, influential thing within my mental health journey was that of digging a trench of truth. It was a game changer for me. It was transferred transformative in my mental health journey. I wrote down some statements and I began repeating them. Daily, I would do that, sometimes hourly because that's how it would, uh, how it would manifest. And here's what I would say. I said, God, I am a man of integrity and honesty and servanthood. And then I would pray the Lord's prayer. I'd say, Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give me this day my daily bread and forgive me of my trespasses as I forgive those who trespass against me. And lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And then I would repeat it again and I would say, man, God, I am a man of integrity and honesty and servanthood. I am a man of integrity, honesty, and servanthood. I am a man of integrity, honesty, and servanthood. And I would repeat it as often as I needed to in order to dig a trench of truth. And I know it sounds simple and maybe too easy, but it made a profound difference in my mental health journey. And it allowed me to get to a much healthier place. Do you know that your brain is an amazing organ. Like God created something amazing that sits right up here. There's this really great thing about our brains and it's called neuroplasticity, all right? Neuroplasticity is the capacity of neurons and neural networks in the brain to change their connections and behavior in response to new information sensory stimulation, development, damage, or dysfunction. In other words, we can train our brains. Do you know that? It's amazing. We can train our brains. We can actually change what we think. We can actually dig a trench of truth and get out of a mental rut that we are in. We have the power to do that, especially with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's pretty amazing. Because we can often get stuck in neural pathway ruts and digging a trench of truth can literally, not just figuratively, literally change the way you think and ultimately feel. It takes repetition, but it is possible. And what's even cooler is this is a biblical concept. It actually is found in the Bible. The apostle Paul writes about it. It's stuck right here in the book of Philippians chapter, uh, chapter four. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That's the way to train our brain. That's neuroplasticity right there in the book of Philippians. See, first we see that we are to rejoice even in uh, tough circumstances. We are told rejoice, right? He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. The Lord is near. So why do we rejoice? Because the Lord is near. And the key thing to remember when we are in the minefield and we are having a battle and we had to battle the war within is that God is near. He is close He is always working. Even when we don't see it, he's working. We sing a song here about that. It's called Waymaker. It's true. It's a promise. Even when you don't see it or feel it, God is at work. 
Paul goes on in Philippians 4 and he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying in every situation, go to God. Pray. Petition him with your fears, your anxieties, and your struggles. Do you know that you can speak boldly with God? You can actually be honest with him. You can yell at God. He's big enough to handle it. You can be bold in prayer and say, God, why are you not taking this away? That's okay. He can handle that. But going to God is a starting point. It's where we begin. And I'll be honest, I struggled with this verse during my mental health journey. Because I read it and I thought, great, that means God's going to take my struggle away. And when he didn't, I was disappointed. But the phrase here, will guard your hearts and your minds, that will guard phrase, means to protect by military guard. Either to prevent hostile invasion or to keep the inhabitants of a besieged city from flight. And this was an amazing thing when I realized this. What I realized is that God was guarding my heart and my mind from a full-on mental takeover. And I didn't even realize how much he was working for me. And he was guarding my heart and my mind during that time, even though I was struggling to say, man, you didn't have a full takeover. I got you through. And I think this is an amazing thought because sometimes I can, and maybe, maybe you're the same, that I can only see what God is not doing instead of what he is doing. And it's only often after in our lives as human beings that we realize that we can look back and go, man, that was an only God moment. Then Paul uh, turns and he gives us our marching orders for creating a trench of truth. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Some translations of this say, dwell on these things. And Paul here is telling us to dig a trench of truth dwelling on who God is, what is true about him, and dwelling on what is true about who we are as his creation, and maybe even what is true about our circumstances. He's encouraging us to repeat them again and again and again and again, training our brain to not only believe it's true, but to know it's true. This is what the psalmist was writing about when he he wrote, I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. This, This idea of remembering the days long ago, remembering the past, this remembrance of God's faithfulness, remembrance of God's comfort, remembrance of God's peace. This, uh, that idea, this is a trench of truth, a dwelling on the days and the experiences gone by where God has proved himself worthy. You see, we as human beings, man, we are a forgetful species, aren't we? 
It's when we are in the thick of it, when we are in the things that are so hard and so difficult, we forget what God did in the past. And so we often don't remember what he's done up up to this point and what he will do in the future. And then Paul is also reminding us here that this applies to what is true about God, but it's also about you and me as well. Just like we forget what's true, sometimes we forget that we are image bearers of the king. That's who he says we are. As Kondo said a couple of weeks ago, the new me is the true me. That 2.0 version of me, that's the true me. And so what, what about you? What trench of truth do you need to begin to dig today? Do you need to remind yourself what is true about God? Do you need to remind yourself that he is faithful and that he's always there and that he loves you and that he's in control? Do you need to remind yourself that he was faithful with your finances in the past? He will be faithful with your finances in the future. Do you need to create a trench of truth and remind yourself that God is the great physician and he knit you together in your mother's womb so he knows what healing you might need? Do you need to be reminded that God created you on purpose for a purpose? I don't know. What do you need to be reminded of? What trench of truth about God do you need to be reminded of today? Or or what about a trench of truth about who you are, right? That the, the new me is the true me or that you are loved and maybe you're not the failure someone always told you you were. Maybe you aren't the the failure. Maybe you can account, uh, become something that someone told you you couldn't be. Maybe you can make a difference. What truth do you need to rehearse about yourself that is who God says you are? I mean, I don't know. I don't know what mental or spiritual rut you might be in this morning, but I'm sure as I've been talking, you know what it is. Because like me, maybe it plagues you when you're at work or when you're at school, when you're trying to sleep or when you come to church. What is that rut that you've been running in your mind every day and you need to start taking that rut and digging a trench of truth and allowing God to change you from the inside out? As you have that in your mind, I want you to, I want you to, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. When it comes to that thing you think about God or think about yourself, is it true? Is it true? Is it really true? Not like that, well, this, I'm just this terrible person. I'm a loser. No, no. Is it true? Is it kind? Is what you're saying about yourself or about God, is it kind? I mean, sometimes we can blame God for things that aren't very kind. Or we can blame ourselves that are not giving ourselves the benefit of the doubt. Is it helpful? Is what you think about God or yourself right now, is it helpful? Is it helping you? Is it moving you to where you want to go? 
Because if it's not, my guess is it's time to dig a trench of truth. To begin to see what God says about you and about himself. And hold on to those things. And change the way you think. To train your brain. And here's the deal. When you do that, when you dig the trench of truth and you go into battle, it will give you the opportunity to have victory in that battle. And then that victory will give you the strength for the next one. And the next one. And the next one. And hopefully help you to win the war within. At this time, I'm going to close, but I'd like to invite you to do something. I'm going to read a prayer over you. And so I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes. Get into a comfortable posture. And I wanted to end this way because uh, a friend of mine read this uh, uh, several months ago at a service I was at. And it was so meaningful. And so I want you to just to take these words. It is a little long. So please just stay with me. But I'm going to ask you to maybe even open up your palms before God in a posture of receiving what God may have for you this morning as I read this letter. It's called the Father's Love Letter. And it's what's true about God and it's what's true about you. So receive these words. My child, you may not know me, but I know everything about you. I know when you sit down and when you rise up, I'm familiar with all your ways. Even the hairs on your head are numbered. For you were made in my image. In me you live and move and have your being. For you are my offspring. I know you even before you were I knew you before you were conceived. I chose you when I planned creation. You were not a mistake, for all your days are written in my book. I determined the exact time of your birth and where you would live. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I knit you together in your mother's womb and brought you forth on the day that you were born. I have been misrepresented by those who don't know me. I am not a distant and angry God, but am complete with with expression of love. And it's my desire to lavish my love on you simply because you are my child and I am your father. I offer you more than your earthly father ever could. For I am a perfect father. Every good gift that you received comes from my hand. For I am your provider and I meet all your needs. My plan for your future has always been filled with hope. Because I love you with an everlasting love. My thoughts towards you are countless as the sand on the seashore. And I rejoice over you with singing. I will never stop doing good to you. For you are my treasured possession. I desire to establish you with all my heart and all my soul. And I want to show you my great and marvelous things. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Delight in me and I will give you the desires of your heart. For it is I who gave you those desires. I'm able to do more than you could ever possibly imagine. For I am your greatest encourager. I am the father who comforts you in all your troubles. When you're brokenhearted, I am close to you. As a shepherd carries a lamb, I carried you close to my heart. And one day I will wipe away every tear from your eyes. And I will take away all the pain you've suffered on this earth. I am your father and I love you even as I love my son, Jesus. 
For in Jesus, my love for you is revealed. He is the exact representation of my being. He came to demonstrate that I am for you, not against you. And to tell you that I am not counting your sins. Jesus died so that you and I could be reconciled. His death was the ultimate expression of my love for you. I gave up everything that I loved that I may gain your love. If you received the gift of my son, Jesus, you receive me and nothing will ever separate you from my love again. Come home and I'll throw the biggest party heaven has ever seen. I have always been and always will be your father. My question is, will you be my child? I am waiting for you. And so God, we thank you for these words that are so true about how much you love us with, with so much unconditional love. And so Lord, as we move throughout the rest of this service, I pray that you would remind us of who we are in you. And it's we are who you say we are. And you are a God who is faithful and true. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.